Justina Kopp is a stay-at-home mom living in the Twin Cities, Minnesota with her husband Matthew and their quadruplet toddlers. She is a 2013 graduate of the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota, where she studied Catholic Studies and Biology and currently serves on the advisory board for the Center for Catholic Studies. Before marriage and family life, Justina served as a campus minister at the University of Minnesota's Newman Center. Her life story, marked with the tragic loss of her father and the I-35 West Bridge collapse, and the surprise of her quadruplets, has been told throughout various media and podcast outlets. When she's not chasing her kids around, you can find her cruising through town with Starbucks in hand and listening to her favorite true crime podcasts. This is Echoes and Hope with Justina Kopp. So I am a cradle Catholic. My parents grew up on opposite ends of the globe. And my dad was born in South Dakota, grew up in very rural South Dakota. And my mom grew up in very rural Kenya. And the way that they met was because they were both Catholic, that my dad went over to Kenya as a missionary um, because he was feeling super unfulfilled with his life here. And he'd had an older brother who had gone to Kenya randomly and had discerned that he was called to the priesthood. And he he is a priest. So my dad was like, that sounds like that could be for me. Uh, So he sold all his stuff and went to Kenya and uh, met my mom three days later. So he did not become a priest. And my parents got married there. And they came here and raised me and my three younger siblings Catholic. I have stayed Catholic. We have had some ups and some downs. We have veered into the weeds and we've come back on. And I don't know what to define this season of my life as, but my husband and I met in Rome, studying abroad with the uh, Catholic Studies program at our university, the University of St. Thomas. I actually still serve on the board for the Center for Catholic Studies, which is very interesting because I am the only woman of color on the board and I'm the youngest one on the board so uh, I am taking up space and spreading out there so some things about my faith journey that I think are worth noting are that the last few years have been especially tough not just because of all the things that have been going on in the world in the United States but because I have kids and so now my faith decisions are not just mine and that's really tough. We can muddy the water so much, but with the with the Eucharist, it's very, it's very clear, crystal clear, how much we are loved beyond measure, and how like vast and infinite His mercies are when we absolutely do not deserve it. Um, and I just feel that that's the clearest here. I don't want to sound braggy, but I love that we have the Eucharist. (laughs) I really love that we have that. That's why, that's why the times where I've really struggled, it's, it's either I'm all in and this is the in or I'm all out. Like, cause I, I don't know how I could go from, if I'm going to still call myself a follower of Christ. I just don't know how I could do it without access to that. You know, even just to be able to sit in an adoration chapel or I don't know. Mary, I feel like, comes to life in a much more vibrant way in the context of the Eucharist. And so, like, I, I don't know. That's what keeps me 
Um, that's what keeps me here. That feels like a really basic Catholic answer, but. <laughs> My name is Justina. I am named after the father of apologetics, St. Justin Martyr. Uh, because my dad was a big apologetics nerd. And so he instilled in me a great love for the early church fathers. <laughs> so when I was in Rome, patristics was one of my favorites that we got to take. <laughs> but his uh, approach to the faith with me, because I'm the oldest, I got to have a lot of these like one-on-one -on -one conversations with him where I got to like poke as many holes in all of it as I wanted to or needed to. And very rarely would he get like exasperated with what I was asking. The only time he would be like, We've, you've asked the same question four days in a row. Can you please pick a different one? <laughs> um, but beyond that, he would, he would listen to all of it. And he would take the time to explain if he didn't know something, he would go look it up. He'd ask his brother, he'd find the answer for me. Or if he didn't know it, he'd be like, that puzzles me too. So at a very young age, I had this like understanding that you could ask questions. But then he died when I was 16, almost 17. And right when I was like coming into this, like when my questions were starting to get, they were starting to get really good. <laughs> and you ask like what, how, how I've stayed, why I've stayed. It wasn't necessarily just because he like allowed me to ask questions. So I feel very comfortable asking questions now, but the way that he died, like he died trying to help someone else, trying to save somebody else. And so it was very clear that his faith was very important to him, so much so that he like laid his life down out of love for it, you know? And so that that's like, it's one of those things where uh, it's really beautiful and inspiring for me as his daughter, but it's also like, okay, so I can't really leave because like, this is like a very obvious connection to him. Uh, so sometimes it's, sometimes it's comforting and sometimes it's like, yeah, okay. Um, or I'm just gritting my teeth and, st and staying. But I really love the church's tradition of or understanding of like what happens after this life. Like the, the saints are really what keep me, keep me there because I like knowing that, that it doesn't just end. I like knowing that we have people who are rallying for us on the other side. And I like knowing that there's this like very real, this very real living, breathing world that exists outside of, outside of this and that we're still connected to them. I'm half Kenyan, half German American. And uh, I grew up in a very white part of the country in a very white suburb. And so my faith, the cultural aspects of it, like I had a very white, like American Catholic faith over here, but then when we would go to Kenya, then I would see like this very vibrant African Catholic church. And those two things, like for the most part, remained very separate. There was some overlap when we would have, we would house priests from Kenya here um, when they were doing mission appeals, but still they were saying mass in america so i didn't know how to blend those two things and that is still very much something that i'm trying to figure out as i over the last few years like after having kids having to like sort of reckon with my own experiences of racism and to recognize that a lot of those experiences happened within the context of the church that's been 
that's been really interesting and difficult and frustrating. There's been some really beautiful things that have come about it. Just like learning from other from other Catholics, like learning about other black saints uh, that weren't just like Saint Josephine Bakita or, you know, like wonderful, wonderful woman. I mean, no disrespect, but like that's kind of the one that's tossed out there all the time. And to learn about ones here on American soil that like like uh, Sister Thea or really, really any of them, Father Gus, like to learn about them and to be like, you were here, you were here. And like for Sister Thea, there's there's video of her. And that's been crazy for me to witness, to, to watch that and to learn more about her. And to also then at the same time, while I'm learning about like black Catholic history in the United States, to also then be learning about Catholic history in Kenya and Catholic history in Africa and to learn about like, you know, Africans who have been there since the beginning, like they have been present in Christianity since the beginning. And I have had to really deconstruct the one really ugly aspect of, of the intersection of race and Catholicism that I just, that really frustrates me is that oftentimes, especially up here in the great white North state of Minnesota, other cultures are presented as charity cases. So it's World Mission Sunday. You have someone who's coming in to talk about their, uh, their parish, their parishioners. They need a well, they need a latrine, they need a whatever. And so it's always like you're seeing these, or you're doing a mission trip to some part of the world. So you're always seeing yourself as like the white person that is going to help these black and brown people instead of seeing them as someone that you can work alongside, be equals or be served by them. That like, there's this like false, like imbalance that we're not seeing each other each other as equal people at like the feet of Christ, you know. So, as I've like worked through that and like sort of deconstructed like mission culture, I feel like I, I feel like I, I'm I'm more clear of like how to how to bring that up with my own children because like I want Kenya to be a very important part of their lives. They're but they're being raised here, so I don't know. It's it was a very long winded way of saying it's very complicated, and I'm trying to figure it out. I care very deeply about things. So I'm going to school to become a marriage and family therapist. And the reason I'm going to school to become a marriage and family therapist, as opposed to really any of the other kinds of counseling and therapy is because I think very systemically that that is how I view people and how I view organizations and institutions. I view them very systemically. That there is this interconnectedness. And I think that that is something that we have perhaps forgotten as a church, despite having like a system, like we've got a hierarchy, you know? And so we can see how this system has come down from the Abrahamic fathers all the way down to Jesus, all the way down to us. That so we can see this system here, but we can't see how these things, how we're connected to each other right here, right now, um, in this way that like evokes empathy and charity. I think that that's something that I can help with. I think that that's something that I can do to help people understand that like this is not just a them problem, that this is a this is an us problem, that like we are we are helping all of us. Everyone stands to benefit 
if we make more space at the table or make a new table. The church exists for all of us and all of our stories, all of the people that we are, are vitally important. And perhaps the most important are the, the people whose names we don't know, the people who will hardly get acknowledged, the people who have this like steady, ordinary faith. And oftentimes those are, those are people of color, you know, that get overlooked for all sorts of church positions and whatnot. And they're the people I think we need to be listening to the most. So if I could offer some advice, it would be to listen and to make space and to relish in the really amazing diversity that is this church. God did not have to make it this way. He did not have to make it possible for there to be this many cultures and this many languages and this many ways to say his name that he did not have to have it that way, but he did. And that's important.